Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just recently, I went to a Faith and Science conference. Now, this really uh, wasn't uh, related to this program, but it was on the same sort of topics that I uh, talk about and that I'm interested in. And I found it a a very interesting um, conference. There were a lot of... uh, uh, speakers there, uh, some speakers uh, from overseas in the United States, as well as from Australia. And one of the important uh, things that I got out of the conference was that when we're looking at scientific evidence and the observations of science, how those uh, observations are interpreted depends on our worldview. So, for example, a person who doesn't believe that there is a God will look at the data and will attempt to interpret it in terms of some mechanistic process. And, of course, we now know today our education system has is saturated with the the theory of evolution as an explanation of how we came to be here. It's an explanation that is has been put up that proposes that there was no God, that uh, there's there's no supernatural, there's just this uh, mechanical laws of uh, physics and chemistry produced everything. And so, you know, most of us are probably familiar with the scenario that that somehow in the past nobody knows how it started or or what was before, but but somehow um, energy and matter formed. You know, they they talk about a, a Big Bang and that there was some unique event, a singularity they call it, a single single event, some unique single event that produced a huge amount of energy and uh, that energy converted into matter, that matter uh, eventually, um, which they presume was in the form of, you know, atoms, uh, became... The, uh, the stars and the planets and in the stars the, the different elements and higher elements are, uh, are synthesised because essentially basically they say, well, uh, initially it would have been the very light atoms like hydrogen and helium that have formed these very simple uh, molecular structures with only um, uh, one or two uh, protons in the nucleus and a few neutrons, these sort of things. And so these sort of particles. And so from this, they say the the stars formed and synthesised the higher order of elements and planets somehow formed around these and and the other um, things we observe in in space happening at the present time. So that's how this um, evolutionary theory is proposed. So we have the evolution of the, uh, the universe and then we have on Earth, the evolution of life. So somehow as the Earth cooled down, life, um, some chemicals came together and formed the the first living cell. And uh, from that first living cell, somehow it could reproduce. And as it kept on reproducing, somehow there were mutations and those mutations um, produced different features. And over time, we had more complex 
uh, creatures forming, such as creatures like we find at the bottom of the sea, you know, the seashell-type creatures and uh, the little creepy, crawly, crustacean-type uh, creatures, and then these turned into, uh, you know, fishes with uh, more, uh, you know, backbones and skeletons, and then we have the amphibians and then the reptiles, and uh, the reptiles became birds and or, or dinosaurs and birds and, and so forth. And from these uh, mammals formed and then, uh, you know, the higher forms of, of life, um, apes and then humans. But all these different structures are believed to have formed, as you know, I've talked about before, as a result of mutations and all arose from this very simple cell that first formed and then somehow there were mutations that formed all these amazing systems. Of course, in the middle of that, there were all the plants formed and the algae and uh, bacteria and, well, you know, all, all the different types of life forms that we ob observe and have observed have been preserved in, in the fossil record. And so when we have, uh, when scientists are looking at this data and so many scientists today are trained in evolution, this is what they're taught. They're taught from you know primary school that we evolved, and then high school they learn a little bit more of the mechanisms. And then if they study science at university, they learn more of the mechanisms. And we have the tables and charts and genetic trees and and so forth that have have put forward. But as I've talked to science, very few of science that are working in this area probably have really questioned and looked at the evidence from the other side. But what, again, the, if the, uh, this view is presented that there is no God, many people are growing up and thinking, of course, particularly highly educated people, that there is no God, that everything can be explained by these natural processes. So when people are looking at the evidence now, they see the evidence and they will try to explain it in some sort of natural process. Now, on the other hand, those of us who or those people that believe that there's a God who look at the amazing creation out there and say, look, this could not arise by chance. This really could not arise by natural mutations. It's so complex. It's so perfect. Um, just recently I was reading about seals, for example, the little animals, because um, we started getting uh, some sightings of seals near to where I live. Uh, in the olden days, they used to be here, but of course they were hunted out. And um, but gradually they're returning now. And just looking at the features of this animal and it, its its chemistry, the the layers of blubber that are specifically keep it waterproof, that keep it insulated, that enable it to dive to deep. Uh, depths and so forth and not compress the insulation doesn't compress and so it keeps it insulated a blood circulatory system that uh, prevents them from uh, losing too much heat uh, the composition of the milk uh, that the little baby uh, seals uh, drink on just after they're born and it was amazing they can swim and go on land you know just immediately after being born but the composition of the of the milk um, enables them to put on insulation very quickly. And all these things, all these biochemistry things like the structure of their blubber and their circulation system and all these sort of things are controlled, as we know, by the genetic code. And, of course, uh, you know, it's so complex to, th in my view anyway, uh, believing in God to 
see that this um, arose by chance. Mutations, so and yet it's so perfect. It works so perfectly in so many different areas. Just you know, doesn't fit the picture. And I was thinking about, you know, if I was to explain to someone what do I think was really the most important evidence for creation, I would have to say it would be my experience with God. So I was thinking, well, I wouldn't go to this overwhelming evidence of, you know, intelligent design, this overall uh, evidence of amazing complexity, you know, the code of the uh, DNA, the fact that we have this amazing ribosome code reader machine with over 300,000 atoms making up this machine. I mean, how could that arise by chance? There's so much evidence that it is absolutely impossible, that life is supernatural. But yet to a person that has been inculcated with the idea that all these natural processes could somehow occur, and the fact that we're here is evidence of that. I mean, we're dealing with a mindset that is already reasonably close to the massive, overwhelming amount of evidence that God exists. And so, you know, how can you get break through that? And I was thinking my own personal relationship with God is something that is outside that. And it's something that for me is is personal. And I've had ex- experiences where God has impressed me. Well, I've been powerfully impressed to do something. And as a result, it saved my life. And let me let me share a couple of these with you. And, and some of these I may have shared before, but I, I think... It's important because it points to the reality in my mind that there is a real intervening God. There is a a supernatural power that is outside this physical world and and is capable of creating this physical world. So, you know, one of those instances, I remember just after I became a Christian, I was returning from, I was working in Tasmania at the time as a research fellow at the University of Tasmania in the chemistry area. And I had, um, after work, um, I was giving some Bible studies to some of the students. So I remember returning home. It was winter time. Um, it was a dark, cold, rainy night, and I was keen to get home. And I was driving down this uh, main street in, um, in Hobart, and I was just overwhelmingly impressed to slow down. And I remember looking at the speed. I was only doing 60 kilometres an hour. And I remember, and as a Christian, I, I believed that it was God talking to me. God was impressing me. And I, I sort of argued that, well, God, you know, I'm just doing the speed limit. There was very little traffic on the road, as as I recall. And I think, well, there's... there's no cars around sort of thing, and I'm doing the speed limit. But the impression was just so strong, John, slow down, John, slow down. And so I did. But because I was hungry, it was cold, I was really looking forward, I only slowed down a little bit. And as I was coming down this road, the light, the traffic light ahead was green. I thought, oh, good, I'll be able to go straight through here. But just as I got to that intersection, a car came through on my right. Now, I hadn't been able to see that car coming, and it had been coming along Sandy Bay Road. 
and it was travelling at very high speed. It was a blue uh, Datsun, or now Nissan, I think, but a blue sports car. It was a, a Dats- blue Datsun sports car. But on the corner of that building, right up to the corner, was a big office block. So you couldn't see round the corner. I had just assumed that because it was a green light, yes, I could go sailing through. Now, because I had slowed down a little bit, I hit him as he came through. If I had been going just that little bit faster, he would have slammed into the side of me. And he was going at really high speed. I, I hit him. I was driving a 1956 Chevrolet at the time. And I remember I hit the back of him and I just spun him around. He was going so fast he spun around and then he drove off. And as I, I thought about that, what impressed me to slow down? That was around, you know, I hadn't had that other occasions. But that, that essentially, I believe, saved my life. I had another time a little while later when I was working under my car. It was just before Christmas. My wife had um, left early. Again, we were in Tasmania. We were living on a rural property in Tasmania and my um, wife had left early um, to go up and uh, get ready for spending Christmas with her uh, parents in Sydney. And I had to stay behind because I ha- had to finish work. But now work had finished and I had um, was just checking my car. This time I had an old Pontiac. It was 59, 959 Pontiac at this stage. But it was an old car and... The and this was um, you know, some some years ago, but it was an old car back then. And and I remember going underneath. I jacked the car up to uh, change some wheels, put better tyres off it on on the old from the old fifty six Chev actually. And I was under the car, just having a look around uh, to uh, check that you know the muffler wasn't going to fall off or something like that. And I was just so strongly impressed get out from under the car. And I rolled out from under the car, and as I rolled out from under the car, the car rolled off the jack. And I hate to think if I had been just pinned under that car, I could have yelled out, nobody would have heard me. Um, Nobody would have come up with, highly unlikely somebody would have visited, maybe God would have sent someone up to visit, but, uh, or I could have been just crushed. And... That, that was such a powerful I- impression there at that time. And again, I think that, you know, saved my life. Another time I remember thinking I was travelling on um, the, the boat, on the, the ferry from uh, Tasmania to uh, Melbourne, Devonport to Melbourne, and um, I was just travelling by myself and um, I prayed to God, God, I have all this time, on the boat, I'm just by myself. Who, who do you want me to witness to? Who can I witness to? And I prayed and I prayed. And I was really strongly impressed um, to witness to a, try to witness to a particular young man that uh, I'd, um, uh, that God, yeah, just directed me. I was looking around who, and I was impressed, this particular young man. And he was sitting with uh, some friends in um, uh, the eating area of the, uh, the boat. And I was trying to think of ways that uh, I could uh, bring up conversation. And 
uh, he was with a group of other young pe- people. I uh, recognised from his accent that he was uh, from Germany, uh, German, and he was with other young people from other countries outside Australia. I could recognise from their accents, and they were talking all about their travels in different parts of the world. And I thought, well, I haven't been to any part of the world, but just before leaving to uh, to travel up, I'd collected the mail, and in the mail. I had received a, a letter from some friends, young friends, uh, who had gone um, out to the uh, Solomon Islands at missionaries, and they had been living uh, out in the jungle a little bit in a, in a house there, when some escaped convicts had had come and uh, and uh, threatened them, and uh, actually had taken their car and. Um, the um, the wife had just had a little baby. She had to lock herself in the bathroom, and it was quite a, an ordeal for them. Fortunately, the, the the bad people did just take the car, and while they had just after they drove off, uh, our friends escaped into the jungle and made their way back to safety. But I was telling this story, and this young man said to me, "Do you know about the Bible?" And I said, "Yes," and he said. He said, people have told me there are, there are prophecies in the Bible. Um, do you know about those? Can you tell me about those? And I said, yes, I, I can show you some of them. And we had, we had a Bible study. We had a Bible, and the prophecy I chose to look at was the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2, in which Daniel had this vision of the future empires of the world while he was a captive in, in Babylon working for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, there are many examples of, of that, and you know I've been working on writing down these answers uh, to prayer in uh, many ways. And to me, this is real evidence that we serve an intervening God that interacts with our consciousness. And of course, I've, I've talked about this many times before too, that when you think about it, who we are is really our thoughts, and our thoughts are non-material. And evolution cannot explain the origin of our thoughts, our minds, our non-material aspect of these things. Now, one of the interesting aspects that came out of this Faith and Science Conference was that not only does our worldview look at how we interpret data, so, you know, an atheist might say, well, you know, it's just thought you just had a random intuition, you know, every now and again you're going to have a random intuition and it's going to be uh, correct, these sort of things. But to me, when you have case after case, example after example of of providence, of answers to prayer, and we have, you know, hundreds of books that have been written by Christians that have testified in their own lives of God speaking to them either audibly or impressing them to do something, and that something was very important and led to significant events happening or saved the lives of people or saved their own lives or enabled them to help something. Where you know the, There are books and books and books of Christian experience, hundreds of thousands there would be experiences like this, that point to the evidence of this supernatural God exists. Another thing that came out we talked about was the origin of language and the fact that humans have this very strong sense, this ability to communicate in very, very real and meaningful sense and the ability of a child to learn language. Uh, This came up as, as a very interesting topic. 
there was a theologian there uh, as well, or several theologians spelled, but this uh, one of the theologians was a person with a Jewish background, was an expert in Hebrew and the Hebrew language. And he uh, gave some very interesting talks at this uh, conference on how in Genesis 1 is a we can take a very literal interpretation of that. It says quite plainly, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this occurred in six literal 24-hour days. Um, he, he gave some very, very powerful evidence for this in the language and the word use. Um, there was very powerful evidence that this part of uh, Genesis is narrative. It's historical narrative, like it's not prose, it's not a myth. Um, another uh, theologian uh, uh, sort of uh, predicted statistical numerical analysis had been done of the types of words I've used and the frequency of words and how that compares to poetry and, and other forms of uh, non-narrative prose and how all this evidence points so strongly that um, you know, the account in Genesis 1 there is so important. But what this uh, theologian also pointed out was the whole important essence of what the Bible and what particularly Genesis is pointing to is this whole teaching of worship, the importance of worshipping God. Now, if we have an atheist worldview... Um, what, who do we worship? Well, we worship self, really, probably in many cases. I mean, there are going to be altruistic uh, atheists and, and maybe people are looking for the better good, the community, to make a better world, to make a better place, this sort of thing. But it's very much a, an emphasis on us and, um, and humans. And then, of course, we have people looking at the environment. And just recently there was some... You know, crazy notion put forward that the world would be better off if humans became extinct. We have all these sort of uh, very unusual um, consequences coming out of this, if uh, out of the concept of if there is no God. The there's um, you know God created this. Uh, the biblical account is of course that God created this beautiful world, and. One of the important aspects of us of us is we were put in the garden to keep it, you know, to look after it. And at the end of um, uh, in uh, the book of Revelation, at the end of chapter eleven, uh, you know, God talks about He will destroy those who destroy the earth. So, you know, the earth was made as a very special place for us. It's obvious that we are to care for it. There were the laws in Leviticus not to you know, take both the, the, the bird and the eggs uh, for food. There were laws about not eating, uh, cleaning all the fruit off the trees to leave some and the, the land be left fallow every uh, seven years and so forth and that debts be forgiven every, you know, 50 years. This all, the land returned every 50 years to the original owner. So there was a whole lot of laws in there to uh, prevent greed, to prevent the uh, over-accumulation of wealth, these these sort of things are already there. But if we have the atheist view, then again there's, and particularly if we have survival of the fittest type uh, view, then we know that the you know, atheist views have underpinned uh, a number of really terrible regimes in the world um, and um, 
where, and again, where religion has been suppressed, particularly Christianity, has led to massive cruelty and um, persecution in those particular regimes. And particularly in recent times, those regimes uh, have occurred under different world leaders. So when we look at things through a, um, a creationist worldview, of course, we... Uh, recognise that God is the creator. And one of the, the number of important uh, passages come out in the Bible related to this. And these uh, passages in, include, for example, in the Ten Commandments that were given, where it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter or manservant or your maidservant or your cattle or sojourner who is within your gate. For in six days the Lord made heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rest the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the Sabbath day was set aside as a day of rest to remember that we were created, to remember that there is a creator and that we were special to him. And this is a special day of rest to remember that. So we come into the the last book of the Bible that really refers especially to our time. We read at the end of Revelation chapter 4, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou didst create all things, and by thy will they existed and were created. And so, you know, today we have many people that um, we keep, for example, and worship on Sundays to remember the resurrection, to honour the resurrection and to, the fact that God died as our saviour so that we can be forgiven for our sins. And this is, you know, important too, this salvation, this points to um, how much God loves us. But the important aspect really is to remember the Sabbath day that God is our creator. We worship our creator. And worship is so important. Uh, one of the, the other passage in uh, Revelation there is we read in Revelation uh, 14 there, we see that, again, just at the end of time, reading verse 6, then I saw another angel flying mid heaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim. That's the good news that God ha- can forgive us now as we choose um, Him and choose to want to do the right thing. God is, can forgive us because He has died in our place. And the angel was there to proclaim the gospel to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. So the creationist worldview is a very important worldview of worshipping God. And this is a very, very fundamental message that uh, needs to get out, that we just didn't evolve. We were created by a wonderful, loving God. And the response that was required from us is worship is to recognise him as our creator and to thank him for life and for forgiveness and for the hope that he has because one day he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth where it will be a wonderful place to live. This is such an important message.
Remember to uh, listen to these programs. You can um, just Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and then click on the Listen button. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.